0: Listen to the podcast, you'll know that uh, for the first time in a long time, if uh, you weren't here last week, you could listen to the sermon this week because it made it up in the same week. So typically it makes it up um, three months later, four months later, uh, but it was not working. And so I found got it not working. And then I said, Let me get this away as soon as I can before I break it again. And so I did that. So I hope to listen to the sermon this week. So if for my short she did like mm-hmm. a but she actually it off in time. So uh, good stuff. So she's gonna post those each week. So if you miss, uh, I know that when you miss, you're like, the one thing I gotta do, right? Is listen to the sermon. I know how to And so when you miss, uh, you can you can jump in there and get your movie. forget that boring eclipse, right? Um, is set to make guarantee it's counted. So they get this guaranteed amount. They sell tickets, TV rights, pay-per-view, all those things. So one fighter is set to make about $300 million. The other fighter is set to make $100 million. Um, I've said many times, I would step into the ring and get punched as hard as you can for a fraction of that. Um, they're going to make a fortune off of this one little fight. And what I keep thinking is for for all the talk the past couple of weeks we've been doing about healthy relationships and not fighting and all that kind of stuff, fighting seems to be paying off pretty well. And so, uh, so these guys have been getting a fortune on fighting. I remember one time when I was in grade school, uh, there was this guy, he was a friend of mine, but he was also kind of a bully to me. Have you ever had a friend like that? It wasn't. I was small, but everyone else was bigger than me, so you had nobody else to bully. I was a good person to do that on. Um, so I kind of got tired of, of all of his junk, and so I walked up to him and I punched him right in the face. And after that, he beat me up. <laughs> and so I punched him in first, I started it. he beat me up. Um, but he got into a lot of trouble with that, and I didn't get in any trouble. And so I like to say that I won that fight. And that did me a whole lot of good. Another fight that I won, in more recent memory, um, we, I wanted to go a pool table, and Jess was like, "You're never gonna play like that?" And I was like, "I will do." And so I persevered, and I got a pool table. And when uh, we had some issues with our, our old garage guest space, or oh, whatever you call that, we had some issues that Water got into it. And Jess was like, "Let's just make that whole thing a big shed." And I said, "No, no, no. We don't need a huge shed. Uh, let me make it like like my man cave." Table out there, and so I persevered and I won that battle too. And now I have a huge man cave and a pool table that I never played. <laughs> uh, but I won, and that's what's supported. And one of these days I'm going to actually use that thing. The unique thing about victories in relationships of any sort is that when you win, you never really win. Uh, you lose a friend. Uh, you lose a relationship. Sometimes, sometimes you win an argument, and what you really want is is the memory of the other person. That every time you do something wrong, they remind you that you won that, and you and you got that one, and that one's yours. And so you just create a memory that you don't want to live with forever in your mind. And when we win in relationships, and it's very seldom feels like victory two, three months down the road. See, the idea about our relationships, God designed them to be meaningful, purpose. I've said it every week for the past couple weeks. But I just want to be really clear that God designed the relationships so that we would enjoy them. And if most of your relationships, you're getting something other than joy out of them, then you're doing relationships wrong. And when we seek to win all the time in the relationships that we have, whether it be with our children, or people that we work with, or people that work for us, or with our boss, or with our spouse, any relationship that we have, when you seek to win all the time, eventually you'll lose the relationship. And despite what, I think Ricky Bobby said this, and if you didn't watch that, uh, then lots of country red have said this, but they say if you ain't first or last, despite that idea, which seems to make a whole lot of sense, there's a better way than just seeking to win all the time. And I think you'll enjoy it more that you can join And rather than feeling like last, most, both people get to walk away and they get to have a relationship with less anxiety and less strife and less arguing when you don't seek to the time. So here we go 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians 13. You may know this passage. This is one of those moments if you're a, a guy and you're married, this is what to you. A song comes on and your wife says, um, and do uh, you remember this song? And you're like, oh, I guess I remember it. This was at our wedding. You know what I Yeah, I totally remember that song, wasn't it? Um, because I don't really know any song that was played at our wedding. Except for I do now because I keep getting reminded that it was played at our wedding. This verse was probably read at your wedding. Because they read it at weddings all the time. Uh, or a past wedding. Or, or at some point in a wedding that you've been to. This has probably been read right there. But this is not just for weddings. This passage is about love. It says the word love a ton of times in here. So if you don't mind, here's what i to do. You're going to hear the word love in this passage like 12, 14 times. And I want to tell you what they're talking about. Because we use the term love in all different kind of ways. I love bacon. I do. I really love bacon. I have a love for bacon unlike any other food. If Jess makes bacon for breakfast, if she makes pancakes, I have one. If she makes bacon, I have 14. Or I just go to the plate it. And now she even divides the pack and only cooks a little bit because she knows that I'm going to eat way too much bacon. But I do love bacon. And I also love Molly. Not my drop. I, uh, I love Molly. And, uh, and I love bacon. Uh, but if I had to make a choice between saving bacon and saving Molly... I would eat the bacon and say, Mom. Um, You get the difference. I mean, I used them the same. And I really didn't enjoy bacon. I mean, it's very real for me. But there is a difference in the way we use it. And even in the proper way, there's a huge gap in between how we use it. Even when we talk about people. I love Mom. And then you may say, I love my children. Or I love my spouse. Or I love my boyfriend. I love my girlfriend. but then you may also say, well, I mean, I love my animals, but, you know, it's a different kind of love. Even among love for people, there's a whole lot of gap in there. So here's what happened. Um, but, uh, the Greeks had this idea. Maybe you've heard this before. If you have, you just go ahead and start your nap now and wake up again. The Greeks had four different uh, words for love. So instead of just using the same word to describe every kind of love, uh, they had these four different words for love. And you see them, every one of them was represented Testament, but one of them is used a lot more than the others. So they have four different words for love, okay? So one is an agape love. Agape love is like a love that, if we talk about God's love for man, that's an agape love. Uh, The love that you have for your spouse, that's an agape love. We also use agape love to talk about love um, like charity. So love that we have that actually is accompanied by action. And the idea is that God's love is God does great things for us. We love our, our, our spouse. We love our children. And so we do things for them. That's an agape The other one is eros. Eros is like passionate love. Uh, we get our lovely English word erotic from that. And so you get the idea. So if they wanted to talk about love in that sense, they use that word. Um, there's another word, uh, philia or Philo. Love is like a friendly love among equals. So you and I are friends. We're kind of close. That's the kind of love that I have for you. The last love is called storage. It's one that's hardly ever used in the New Testament, but used a couple times. Storage is like a natural empathy. So it's like I, I love you. I, I, I'm empathetic towards you. It's, it's like I don't hate you. I, but I, you know, this is kind of how I feel towards you. Sometimes this word was used of like loving a tyrant. So it's like, uh, it's like loving someone who is hard to love. Uh, sometimes this is also used in family relationships. This is the love that you probably have for your in-laws. I'm sorry if your in-laws are going to listen to this message, okay? But this is probably the kind of love that you have for, for them. If you just kind of like them a little bit, um, you can imagine all the different relationships that sort of fit in the balance of that. Uh, Greeks would also talk about their love for sports teams with this kind of love. As if anyone loves their in-laws as much as they love their sports team. But, uh, Greeks aren't perfect. But these are all the different types of love we see in the New Testament. or all the types of love that Greeks have. This passage, every time you see love, in this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you're seeing agape love. So this is that deep, rich love that's accompanied by action. It's a love that is that does for other people, that is that is rich, that is similar to the love that God extends towards us. So here we go. Agape love, all through this passage. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-4. says, if I could speak all the languages of birds and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging sound. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could even move mountains, I could do some incredible things, but if I didn't have love, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to poor, I'd go as far as I possibly can, that's what If I gave everything I had before, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Can it be said any clearer? He's saying, without love, we are nothing. Without love, our relationships are very shallow. Without love, all of the things that we do for one another are very shallow. You guys ever seen that movie, Four Christmases? Anytime somebody throws up, I think of that movie, you know, the baby throws up. Um, one thing that's pretty funny in that movie, the son and the dad are standing there. And his son's trying to tell the dad why the marriage between him and his mom didn't work out. And he's saying, well, dad, uh, let's see. He says, you completely shut down on your life. You stopped spending time with her. You stopped talking to her. That's sort of his explanation. And then the dad uh, thinks for a minute. And his diagnosis of why the relationship failed is, I fed her. I put a roof over her head. And I never lied to her face. I spoiled her. That's what I did. <laughs> Sometimes, maybe not so directly. This is sort of our idea of our relationship work. We tell all we do at home, um, we do the laundry, we we, we clean the house, uh, I go to work every day and make a living. I do lots of things, that should absolutely be enough. And we almost do them and talk about them begrudgingly. Like, I, I do those things and you should get that I love you because I do that stuff. But all the dishes in the world... All the laundry in the world and all the hard, hard work you do to make enough living just to be able for everybody to eat and have health care and buy pencils for school and all those little things that you do, it all is nothing without love. That's what it is like. If you just do it for the sake of a physical provision, it's very, very shallow. They say in the passage, they say, without love... Uh, it's only a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. What happened was, in New Testament times, i tell me this sounds familiar, they would have these huge festivals, and I can't name all the people that would have festivals to, but I can name a few of them because they're pretty familiar. Uh, Bacchus, Dionysius, and what they would do is they would have these huge festivals to these foreign gods, and they would bang these big symbols, and they would have these big gongs, and they would blow trumpets. And what he's saying is, you could do all the things that they do in their worship. I mean, you could you could make all kinds of noise in your worship, but if it's not accompanied by love, it's just like those gongs to the foreign gods. There's just nothing happening there except for a loud, noisy symbol. Without love, the sound of dishes is just is just something that makes you have to turn the TV up a little higher if you're not the one the dishes. That's all that the noise is. Without love, you lecturing someone to turn the lights off when they leave the room is just a, a menial thing. It's just a means to a useless end if, if it's not coupled with some love. That's the whole idea. Without love, our relationships are shallow. And the things we do for others are really worth love. So here we go. The next part of this verse. Pretty interesting. The next part of this verse pretty familiar. You've heard this piece a lot. If I can uh, be honest here, um, there is, as I'm reading through, and I just sort of get to the second part, this is a piece that even as I started with Wednesday, just kind of looking at some of the stuff, this is a piece that's already begun to affect the way that i live. And I've already begun to, because I do it so incredibly poorly in my relationships. And even just this week, I've already had to say, I think I'm doing just what I'm going to preach about on Sunday. That that I'm going to encourage people not to do. Let me send this piece here, verses four through seven. This should sound familiar. It says, "Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong." Do these feel like arrows to you a little bit? It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. I don't know how to even that does not describe my love for bacon. That does not describe my love for a lot of things that I call love. It's much deeper than that. I think very clearly we can say we just want to pull all that in together we can say that love seeks the best. If we were to ask somebody, and you didn't give the preface to before, if we were to ask somebody that's really close to you about your relationship with him, would they say, oh yeah, they're patient and kind and not here at all? Are those the things that that people would say about you? Because it says love is extended in that way. People that work with you, people that live with you, do you extend love towards them in that way? It says, love does not demand its own way. How many of you guys have said, me included, sort to yourself about things that don't even matter. You're talking to someone, and in your mind, you've already determined no matter what they say or how they say they're going to do it, you're going to do it your way. And this is going to happen your way. And and even about things that don't even matter. And when it doesn't get to happen your way, you check out just as fast as you check in. And now I'm going to put amount of effort into making this happen because I didn't get it my way. Love does not demand its own way. On a big scale, it says love rejoices when the truth wins out. Love does not rejoice in justice. That means that, that when the guilty go free, we're not excited about it. Even if we understand the guilty person's point of view. Even if the guilty person is much closer to us. Even if the guilty person we feel like and had some reason for doing what they do We don't rejoice with With a guilty win We rejoice with the justice Love speaks the best But here we go here, Here's the last piece of the verse That's really been getting to me if, if, if we did 1 Corinthians chapter 13 If he just left out verse 7 I'd be doing okay I mean I'm not I'm just flying through And getting everything right But I'd be doing okay but verse 7 this is where I kind of have to pause and really think about myself. It says it a little bit different in the ESV, so sort from of a different translation. It, it says part of verse 7 like this. It says, Love believes all things. That's the way it's translated there. It's probably a little closer to Love believes all things. Does that mean that when I love somebody, I'm supposed to believe all the lies they tell me? Am I supposed to just be totally naive and because I love someone, and I know what you're thinking, because it's the same thing I'm thinking, no way I'm doing that. Like, absolutely no way that I'm going to be taking advantage of like that, and I'm going to let you know that you are not fooling me. When you call somebody and you say, hey, can you have me go to this couch? And they say, i oh, would good, but I just feel like real bad cough and I'm just really not feeling well. And you say, oh, that stinks, because you're supposed to go to a concert tonight. And they're like, oh, no, I'll totally feel better about that the rest of the life. And you say, okay, I get that. And you hang up the phone, and we'll see what happens next time you need me. Because I will not be answering the phone. I will find away way to be sick when you call me next time. It's not related. Really like it's not about getting advantage of. When it says "But well, love believes all things, here are a few things that I think that it means. And I didn't put these together. Somebody else put this together. It was so rich to me. It was so It just really spoke to me. So I'm sharing sure with you. Number one, uh, love gives the benefit Maybe the reason that people uh, don't feel like they can be honest with me is because I'm not easy to be honest with. You. And if you tell me I just need some rest because I've been working really hard, you know that I'm judging you. I'm like, oh, well, I worked way harder than you this week, and all these things are flying through my mind. And so maybe I'm not that easy to be told the truth. To you. The idea of love is I'm giving you the benefit of doubt. Secondly, love is most generous with its interpretations. And so when I'm, when you tell me something and my brain is processing and I'm trying to figure out a response, I'm going to give you every opportunity. My interpretation of what's going on with you is going to be as generous as possible. I'm going to believe it as much as I can if you're telling the truth, if I believe that there can be some truth here. Third, love is innocent until proven guilty. You ever know people that with them everyone's guilty? I mean, there's, everybody is always guilty of something. No one is ever really that sick. No one is ever really that bad off. Everybody's guilty. And the only time that they think that someone else is not guilty is if someone else does something that they just did. And in that circumstance, they can find a way to figure out how that was justified. But outside of that, everybody else is guilty. A lot of you are innocent until proven guilty. Uh, this one I uh, like. Love does not suspect one another unjustly. Love does not suspect one another unjustly. Here's how I think that fleshes out. So uh, Jess comes to me and says, "Did you take out the trash?" And I'm processing this and I'm thinking about it. And the trash is a problem in our house. It's like the third story um, to take out the trash. I actually um, went to go trash. Jess comes to me and says, "Did you take out the trash?" I can take it one of two ways. I can assume that she's just asking. Logistically, the trash has to be taken out. We only have so much space to do it, eventually it has to be taken to the garden. And so I can just assume that it's a logistical question. And I can say, no, I forgot. I should go do that right now before the trash comes. And I go out and take the trash out, and that's the end of it. Or I can assume that what she's really saying is. What she's really saying, then, then my response is, is very different.
1: And I'm coming back with, you just
0: think, she says, did you take out the trash? And I come back with, you just think I'm lazy and I don't do anything. And you don't appreciate all that I do around here. And you think that if we don't get the trash out in time, the neighbors are going to think we're slothful and lazy and, and then we're garbage and we're going to have to move. And, and all these things begin flooding through my mind when I assume the worst about what she's saying. It's not that she may not have an interior love. And if I've done wrong enough times, she may. But here's what love does. It's the last one. Love finds the most generous explanation and works hard to believe. That was the key. Love finds the most generous explanation, explanation and seeks to believe. Not to the point of harm or great financial loss. I mean, if you get that email in your inbox that says lend me your social so you can me. I'll give you a small cut, All right? We're not, that's not. We should love the person who sent the email. Don't give them your social. So I'm not talking about being incredibly foolish. Um, but what I'm saying is, don't worry if you come across foolish. That's the problem for most of us is we don't want other people to think that we don't get it. It's so important that they know that they didn't get us that we're not willing to extend love. 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 Generous explanation, and it seeks to believe. Now, Jess, see, see, she can say, uh, "Did you take out the garbage?" Or she can say, um, "Did you happen to take out the garbage?" And the first one is logistical, and the second one is not. And the second one is, "I'm frustrated because you forgot yet again." But even with the second one, I'll assume the best, and I'll say, "No, you know what? I, I forgot, and I know it's got to be taken out because it's getting full," and so I'm sticky note on the mirror for Tuesday. I'm going to write Tuesday on it. And I'm going to make sure the garbage is taken out because we don't need for forget it again. Is it always easy? Absolutely not. Is it always really simple? And sometimes, and, and you do this, right? I do this, sometimes I come in looking for an argument and I'm really not satisfied if you answer in a way that's like, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. And so I'm going to press to get the argument that I came in ready to get it. Is this easy? No. Does it it's way easier as I begin to assume the best and act based on that assumption. Are my relationships ten times better? And I mean ten times as a conservative number. Are my relationships ten times better when I, in a godly way, believe all things? Without doubt. Without doubt? Less anger, less strife, less going back and forth, so much richer. It's well, well worth. The idea is that within relationship, and this is across the spectrum, from our relationship with God to, to our relationship with one another, relationships are where we find the greatest joy. The greatest joy. The greatest joy is not found in being on my boat. I don't have a boat, but I don't. Relationships are not found in being on my boat. Relationships are not found in being by myself cutting the grass. Relationships are not found in, in saints' victories or in oldest victories, if we get one or two. Relationships are not found in those things. Relationships. Uh, joy is not found, joy, not found in those things. Joy isn't found in, in my great successes at work. It's not found in my children's great successes. It's not found in a night out. The greatest joy is found in our relationships. And on the other side, the absence of healthy relationships it is, is the worst part of it when you are the furthest them it's usually tied to the relationships around you so number one I would say follow Jesus I think that'd be the first one. follow Jesus, recognize your sin and your need for Jesus and follow him and gain the greatest relationship you could ever get, I think that is paramount. that is number one but then among one another I'd say hey, stop fighting about disputable matters you remember that? We fight all the time about things that don't really matter. Stop doing that. You'll find yourself much happier if you'll not worry about things that don't matter. Secondly, stop unfairly judging the actions of everybody around you. And even when you fairly judge, and something is really wrong, rather than coming at somebody with some harsh criticism or some harsh judgment, try to change the actions of people around you with some mercy, with some grace. Extending them something that you'd like when you do something. But above all else, the end of chapter 13 says this, and I think it's, it says it this way for a reason. Above all else, in relationships with one another, extends love—not just a, not a simple brotherly love, but extends the God-given love, like the love that God has extended to you—a love that looks for the best and a love that stands absolutely.